Welcome back to the tomb, everyone. This is the Pharaoh, aka Ali. And for today's episode, it's called Catch Her If You Can. And I have a very important guest with me. And she'll she'll go ahead and introduce herself. Hi, I'm Chantel. I am an alternative healer slash therapist. I work with others in trying to help them realign with their true self, their highest self, and also fulfill their purpose. And I do that through offering a variety of different modalities to help us remember the truth of who we are, including hypnotherapy, meditation, yoga, sound healing, uh, and many more. So thank you for having me. It's nice to connect. Of course. Uh, some of the things I wanna ask you about, uh, because I know that you, you're recently back in the States, but before you were living in Costa Rica, Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, like, what um, what prompted you to make that move, that transition to uh, Costa Rica? My soul. So I believe we have like these these tugs, these heart callings, and I believe it's our true self's way of communicating with us how we can remember more of who we are. So we're always guided to places, people, things, books types of food that help us reconnect to this higher state of being in some way like there's your your heart or your soul is tugging you towards some experience that you need to have to elevate to grow and expand your consciousness so I was feeling that tug for a while to travel and initially I thought it was maybe Thailand Southeast Asia or maybe even Indonesia and I at the time was with a partner that I had been with for some time and we had gone to Costa Rica and it randomly popped in my mind like oh let's go travel to Costa Rica when I got there on a week trip I fell in love with the country I sat on the beach the day before we were leaving and just cried because I felt like I was home for the first time and I didn't want to leave I felt so connected to the land and I literally almost canceled my flight and stayed but then my partner was like, no, you need to go back to the U.S. You need to come back to Boston. Be realistic. So I came back and that tug never went away. That calling never went away. If anything, it just got stronger and stronger. So I asked the universe and I said, help me find a way to be able to move to Costa Rica to listen to my heart, to my soul, this yearning, and please clear away any obstacles that might be in the way of that happening and at the time the greatest obstacles that I was facing that were kind of keeping me from moving were my relationship Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, finances and my dad and at the time my dad was seemingly healthy he had been sober for two years Um, he had struggled with a heroin addiction the most the majority of his life Um, and he was homeless in and out of psych wards and really struggling emotionally. So I felt a lot of guilt potentially leaving him behind because I felt like that was all he had. Um, and I also was in a, I had a lease, a car lease. Long story short, the universe literally cleared away all the obstacles. Um, my father ended up passing away. And of course I would never wish for that to happen, but I do feel as if his soul left because wanted he was suffering so much but I feel like he really fulfilled his purpose for being here like he had really turned his life around he was finally in a good place and he was suffering so much internally I think it was 
um, a good thing for him to be released of his suffering. So then when he passed away, I felt like that relief in my own being as well. And then my partner broke up with me. Um, my car was total, the tree fell on it. I was able to get out of my lease and I actually made $500 from that. <laughs> the tree fell on it? <laughs> yeah. If that's not but a sign, I, I don't really, know what is. <laughs> yo, I, I, this is, I believe in the power of manifestation so strongly. Mm. In my journal the night before that, I said, universe, please find a way for me to get out of this car lease. And I was with my partner and we were sitting just... in the house. Yeah, no, he, it was a lightning storm. And he, my partner was like, hey, let's go on a car ride. And I'm like, no, 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 let's stay in the house. 30 seconds after that, we heard a massive crash. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I hope a tree didn't fall on my car, joking. And then in the morning, there was a knock on my door from my neighbor saying a tree fell on my car. And it hit, like, I didn't think the car would be totaled because it only hit the side. But apparently it hit, like, one part of the vehicle that was, like, you couldn't repair. So it totaled mm. the whole thing. Mm. It was such a blessing. Um, so, yeah, um, all the obstacles were cleared away. And then I was able to move to Costa Rica. And I wanted to use that time to really focus on my healing journey of realigning with my own true self of rediscovering who I am beyond all of my traumas and my pain and I also wanted to learn different modalities that I could share with people that I worked with Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was the main reason it was like this heart yearning Mm -hmm. um and when your heart calls for something you have to listen there's so much beauty on the other side so once I heard it I was like gotta go gotta go gotta go and I definitely I definitely understand that because that um one of the, well the only time I went to Nigeria that was a that I will say that is was a life-changing experience because it was uh it was the only time in my life where I was in a society where I didn't feel like the other so it's like mm-hmm. I didn't have to run uh walk around like mind you I was in Lagos so there are still white people there not a lot of them they're sprinkled but they're still <laughs> they're still there. So even with even when I interacted with white people, it wasn't like uh it's like, oh, it's like I'm the I'm I'm the white guy here, like mm-hmm. settle down. It was like you said, it felt you felt home. Uh, right. when you moved there, did you was the language uh because is I take it that Spanish is probably the primary language there. So yes, it is. Did you speak Spanish at the at the time when you went? Un poquito. I learned, I knew a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had taken Spanish classes when I was in high school. And then the four months before I moved, I was using Duolingo, trying to refresh. I also had Rosetta Stone. So I had like a solid foundation, a solid base where I knew I could get around and communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just like so sure that this was what I was supposed to do. The language wasn't even a barrier. I was just like, fuck it. I don't care if I can't even communicate. I'll learn as I go. Yeah, I'll figure so, it out. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So what uh, um what were some of the cultural adjustments that you had to um, do when you moved to Costa Rica? Wow, the hardest thing, and it sounds so ridiculous, was slowing down mm. because Costa Rica the slogan is like "pura vida," which means like pure life, and it they live so slowly. Everything is so slow, <laughs> and 
coming from the United States, specifically Boston, I just wasn't used to it. I didn't, I literally didn't know how to relax. Mm. It was such a, a hard thing. It took me like three or four months to like truly learn how to like just flow because everything's just about flowing there. Your electricity goes out. Oh, it was supposed to turn out today. It's okay. Just go to the beach. Like everyone's so calm and when obstacles arise, you kind of just flow with them and you, you take them as signs to shift directions instead of sitting in the frustration of it and like harping on it and like trying to fix it. People are just like, oh, put them, you know, and then they just keep going with their life and their day. And it, it was a beautiful uh, adjustment for me. It really taught me how to embody this idea or the essence of what meditation is, of like really just being present accepting things as they are slowing down just flowing with life and nature so that was probably the greatest cultural shift um and i feel it was something like that it, it when you slow down it gives you more time to kind of appreciate the things that are around mm-hmm. you like when you said like the electricity would go out is that you start appreciating first of all when you do have electricity but then yes but then outside of that it's just like oh like now, since I don't have a fan going or AC, it's like I can actually listen mm-hmm. to nature. I can actually hear what yes. type of birds and everything like that. Um, so I, I think yeah. that's really that's really good because a lot of times um, people don't slow down. Like just in the United States as a whole, and then especially, like you said, coming from Boston, I come from Boston too. Is that it's a go 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 yes. get out of my way. It's just like yes. Yeah, yes. and just trying to enjoy nature. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of enjoying nature, uh, I remember <laughs> I I messaged you because on your Instagram you were ta- you had w- a lot of pictures of scorpions in your bed. Yes. Oh my gosh! So the last two months I was in Costa Rica, I was living on an off grid permaculture farm in the jungle. So mm-hmm. our electricity was solar. So we used solar panels to collect energy um and we didn't have we had a compostable toilet the water that we drank and also showered with was collected from the rain and then we used like a gravity fed system so we had like the tank at the top of the hill and then it just ran down to the bathroom sink to the uh, kitchen and yeah it was very like like very (laughs) different than I was used to from the city but even like living in Costa Rica for that that nine months before that it was a huge adjustment period already like from Boston the the heat the houses the way that they're structured are so different there's a lot of open air there's a lot of bugs you're just kind of always dirty and sweaty Mm-hmm. But then going from that to like legit Costa Rica, like living in the jungle on the farm without electricity and like all of that stuff, it was just like a whole other experience. And one thing I had to get used to was the scorpions, the tarantulas, the snakes, the tra- mosquitoes, the purple uh, grasshoppers the with tarantulas? orange <laughs> It varied. You could find them like this big, some were like this big, they were orange. They were all different kinds of colors. Mm-hmm. You're you're better than and- me. <laughs> I would have swam back to the United States. <laughs> yeah, I, I was saw- living in a. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I was just saying. As soon as I saw the first scorpion in my bed, 
Mm-mm. I'm but not yeah. the scorpion king. I would have just, I would have left. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I love nature. I just don't like being in nature too much. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate Yeah, I was nature. like, I was fully submerged because the house, the like space I was sleeping in was a tin roof A-frame that like we built these houses. So it was like the wood came from the jungle, from the trees that were struck by lightning or fell over. And then it was just kind of like roughly placed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was like holes in the floorboard and like you didn't really have windows. It was just like a cloth kind of blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. So anything that wanted to crawl up in there, crawled up in there. And like the cats on the farm were bringing in dead rats and eating the, they would eat the whole rat like in the middle of the night in my room. Like I had, I was just, you basically were sleeping outside and everything was open air. Like even the kitchen, the living space was just open. So I was outside the majority of like all day, even when I was inside, I was still outside. And so coming back here to where everything is so like sealed and like boxed and like clean it was strange mm. um <laughs> are you still adjusting yeah. are you still trying to adjust back to it I feel like I've finally adjusted but like the comfort is sometimes a little bit overwhelming I'm still like trying to like balance it because it's like I was sleeping in a wet bed almost every day because the humidity like mm. I was so used to that so like getting in a dry bed like the first time I cried I was just like oh my god this is so <laughs> comfortable or like having a warm shower like oh gosh it's just like the little things like consistent wi-fi working or like drinking water like things like that that you don't appreciate when you just have them every day like mm-hmm. yeah i don't know now that i've been back here for almost three months two months um i'm noticing the ungratefulness starting to rise up again of like when things don't go my way or like it's a little cold. I'm like, man, I'm like, wait a second. Wait, be grateful for what you have. Um, so I was really, really honored to have had that experience at Costa Rica. Just shifted my whole perspective on life. Yeah. And that's one of the things that they say about traveling is that it it broadens your horizons. So so mm-hmm. when you do come back here, it's just like you're complaining about that. So like, yeah, oh, like the grocery store ran out of my favorite whatever. It's just like yeah. <laughs> the accessibility of food is like a luxury here and uh that's something that that's something else i wanted to ask you is that when you're in costa rica um besides uh family that you had here is like what are some of the things that you uh missed about living in the united states wow the convenience oh my gosh because in uh where i was living both times I was in like small little jungle towns by the ocean mm-hmm. the city was either a five-hour drive or like an eight-hour journey depending on like where in the country you are so if I wanted something specific I had to go to the city and I still wasn't even guaranteed to get it Amazon wasn't a thing mm-hmm. um, so I just learned to deal with less um, I think by the end of my trip I had sold everything before I moved, but by the end of my trip, I had a suitcase and only half of my suitcase was clothes and the other half was like things that I had collected through my journey. So like being here, it's like as I'm acquiring more things, um, just like that convenience of being able to like go on Amazon and just like order something with like the snap of a finger. It's like things like that I really missed. Um, 
but now I have this new awareness of just to have a different awareness of yeah. Yeah. Amazon yeah. and yeah just the humility of it all but comfort also having a dry bed being able to like wash my clothes not using like my hands in a bucket and rainwater mm -hmm. um being able to go to the grocery store and like get like things I haven't been able to eat in such a long time but it's funny like when I left the United States I thought I was gonna miss peanut butter the most because peanut butter in Costa Rica is like ten dollars um but I actually ended up learning how to make peanut butter myself so mm. now I'm like I didn't even end up missing it and I came back to the states and I don't even buy the peanut butter from the grocery store so, oh so here yeah. you still you still make it yourself yeah uh-huh okay. and it's hard being in the states with seeing the produce and the fruit because I was so close to it living on the farm like to go out of my bungalow and grab a papaya or a mango or an avocado and I see how it grows and like what it requires and what it actually looks like in its purest form and then when I come here and I see the fruit I'm like it doesn't that's not what it's supposed to look like <laughs> yeah oh yeah once you like especially if you're like a farmer or things like that and you know how it's supposed to look and then yeah the commercial side of it when you go into a grocery store it's just like that's not what I planted. Um, yeah. And it was, it was something that I came across, which is kind of wild, is that with the USDA, when um, they have standards for fruits and vegetables so that when mm -hmm. you're selling them, if you're farming, you're selling to a, um, to a retail store, then, uh, well, sorry, grocery store, you, your mm -hmm. fruit or your vegetables have to pass a certain aesthetic standard. So right. if if it's like a two or above, then it makes it to the shelves. But anything that's like a three, four, or like a five, then they either, uh, they get thrown out. Even though that they're 100% healthy, it just yeah. looks weird. So they say like, oh, people won't buy it because, oh, that's not what an apple looks like. It's like, when you think of an apple, it's a picture of an apple. It's like an yeah. archetype of an apple. But as long as it looks, I mean, as long as it doesn't have disease or anything on it, it's like, just eat the apple with like, yeah. an extra like thing grown out of it. It's like, it's still, right. it's still an apple. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and also the fruit, it just tasted different. The papaya that I had tried in the United States, I didn't like, but when I ate papaya in Costa Rica, I was like, oh my God, this is so flavorful. Or mangoes, like avocados, like everything just tasted so different. Mm. Um and yeah, it was like things, like if there was an orange that was deformed and you saw it grow, like, you know, it's fine, you know? And like the oranges, they were actually green on the outside and orange in the middle, which is interesting. <laughs> that is, I did not know that. Yeah. And do they still taste like, and you said that they taste different or like they kind of taste- They taste the better. They taste better, okay. So like, it's still the orange flavor, I, but just more rich. Mm -hmm, exactly and that was something interesting because I actually studied nutrition when I was in school and one of the things that we learned was about like the importance of eating locally and how when you transport food from different places in the world you actually like can ruin the nutrient mm -hmm. like um, the richness of the actual fruit itself the further it is away like the more it has to travel and like it just travel being in the air, being in boat, like it just impacts the the richness composition of yeah, yeah the yeah. composition of the the food. 
itself. So I think that played a huge role in it as well. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, oh, so are you a vegetarian, vegan, or? I'm unlabeled. Uh, I identify most with vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I was a vegetarian when I was in Costa Rica, mostly vegan, actually. I wasn't even eating cheese. Sometimes, and I would eat eggs, so yeah, vegetarian. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't like putting labels on myself because mm -hmm. if I'm in someone's household and they make meat, I'm not going to be disrespectful and not eat it. Or oh, if, it's, yeah. if it's culturally appropriate in a country that I'm visiting to eat meat, I'm going to like immerse myself in the culture. Um, but I tend towards not buying meat myself, not cooking meat myself, just for ethical reasons, environmentally. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, I just don't really like the, the culture around it. Around it. Okay. So. <laughs> the reason why I ask is because uh, I've, I've noticed it. And then when I've uh, spoken to other people that have gone to other countries, when they do eat meat, they've said that the quality of it, it just tastes uh -huh. exponentially better. Like, okay, I see. I, mm -hmm. I went to like a burger place in Nigeria and it was like a fast food chain in Nigeria and I had one of their burgers it was like that actually tastes like a real burger versus right. what you get at like Burger King or McDonald's or things like that so I was I was gonna ask if you notice if you notice that in Costa Rica but you didn't uh, the majority a lot of people in Costa Rica actually are vegetarian hmm. um, and one thing I also learned was the closer you get to the equator the higher likelihood you are to run into vegetarians or for the culture to be more plant-based and it's because of like what's available in the area yeah. right so um like the staple in Costa Rica was like rice and beans like a casado which was like rice beans sometimes french fries sometimes there'd be a meat but again I didn't eat it the only meat that I had when I was in Costa Rica was fish because I was out on the ocean so like there would be a local fisherman who would go out and he would bring us back fish uh, that day and then we would just cook it up but that was more of a a rarity. And did you notice a difference from the fish there and like the fish that, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot yeah, of the, absolutely. a lot of the fish that we eat in the United States, people don't understand are farmed fish. Like yeah. I tell people even now is that, oh, I'm going to go get a like salmon. Mm -hmm. The salmon doesn't look like that when like they actually yeah. cut it up. They actually dye the salmon I because know if you if you look at it from what they're eating they turn gray the pinkness that people think of salmon comes from salmon eating krill it's like so it's like you're just eating a gray salmon that was dyed pink it's like yeah i don't understand it yeah, yeah it's it's That's wild it's, it's definitely wild and i know that you said that uh the concept of slowing down was something that you adjusted to uh when you moved mm -hmm. to costa rica uh, are there any other things that you learned while you were there that's going to stay with you for like the rest of your life? 110%. <laughs> so when I first, this, this like was really, uh, this was also one of the reasons I decided to leave, but so many things. Oh, okay. So when I first moved to Costa Rica, I moved to the West Coast. So Santa Teresa, which was super gentrified. Um, a lot of like rich European peeps living mm. off of their parents' income, <laughs> mm. <laughs> buying land and pushing the locals out. So the majority of the restaurants there were actually like expat owned. A lot of Israelis, um, 
Argentinians, a lot of Europeans, and a lot of Canadians and Americans. That was like the majority of the people that made up Sinistry. So it was hard to watch, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no integration with the locals. The only locally owned things were like maybe like two of the grocery stores and like some of the um, sodas, which are like the restaurants there. But it was like, you could just, you felt like how run down the place, like the trees felt like they were weeping, but the nature just felt so suffocated. And they actually, it was a dirt road when I first moved there, which I was grateful for because it kind of kept people out because they're like, oh, I don't want to go on a dirt road to Santa Teresa. Like, because people are, when they come to a new country, they just want the conveniences of the country they came from. Yeah. They ended up paving the road, which was just like, no, <laughs> don't do that. And there was just constant construction and I moved there to find silence. And that was really hard for me to watch. Um, so I decided to leave Santa Teresa and move to the other side of the country, which was Puerto Viejo, which was like Afro-Caribbean, which was really nice. Mm. Um, less gentrified, still not amazing, yeah. but better. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I just, I just felt like sometimes that my presence there was actually doing more harm than good. And then I started to question my role and all of it. And then I wanted to learn about the history of Costa Rica and, and learn like what was going on here. Like, so I, learned, so I went to the city and I went to one of the museums and I learned about like the colonization of Costa Rica and um, just kind of what went down historically and all of that. And it just, it shifted my perspective on why like I guess the most frustrating thing for me in Costa Rica was seeing that the country was trying to survive and make money off of tourism Mm. and without that tourism that the country would be suffering as a whole but the tourism was also destroying the country in many ways the natural beauty the culture uh it was making the people poorer all of the grocery stores were like just as expensive if not more expensive than the United States so like how are any of the locals going to be able to afford paying for this? It was a it was a whole mess. And um, that was what ended up inspiring me to move to the permaculture farm for those last two months. And then towards the end of my trip, I was like, I'm gonna just I'm gonna go back to the United States and, and let all of this sink in and really think about my role as a human on this planet and how every action that I take has an impact on the systems that I'm involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I wish that more people traveling to Costa Rica would be more conscious of the fact that this is someone's home it's not just a amusement park for your pleasure you know <laughs> yeah it's like people actually live here yeah it's, it's kind of like um and it's probably it's the principle is kind of the same it's like when people go to Vegas people don't understand uh-huh. that like outside of the strip these are people's homes like people live in Vegas that right. aren't just catering to the stuff there it's like it's an actual community and yeah I think definitely like and I think it gets amplified like you said when people go to a different uh, a different country it's more like people are like oh I'm gonna go to this country where one dollar might be like a thousand of theirs so like I'll be rich when I when I come here but then yeah. only spend their money on like like European establishments like they don't actually Mm -hmm. spend their money in 
the local uh, community because that's one of the things when I did go to Nigeria, I made sure that it's like, I didn't go to like the McDonald's, even though they had them. Right. They didn't go to the pizza huts or things like that. And it's like, if I saw someone, uh, if I saw someone on the uh, side of the road with a food cart, I'd stop and actually like spend my money with them. Yes. And then if let's say, uh, because I think $1, there it's like 394 96 naira it fluctuates a lot but mm-hmm. say if uh they have a dish called suya which is spiced beef if i got a plate of suya and it cost 800 um naira i would yeah Man, let me think about it yeah 800 naira <laughs> so uh mm-hmm. if it costs like 800 naira it's like then i would give that person 2000 right because right. the thing is, is that in the actual conversion for me, that's like six, seven dollars. Yeah. Like, and the the difference between me spending it is maybe one or two dollars, but what it actually means to that person is far mm-hmm. greater than what I'm actually um, sacrificing. And Absolutely. I think that when, when people go abroad, it's like, yes, go out and spend your money amongst the locals. Now I will also say, don't be dumb. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in Nigeria, if I was dumb, I probably would have gotten kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. they they hear my voice and it's like, oh, he's American, he has money, and this is like, no, 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 black American, different yeah. different tax bracket. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But you did say something that was interesting. I um, was hoping that you can kind of expand upon is that when you said that in the area that was more Afro Caribbean, that your presence was doing more harm than good. How, how was that? Um, I don't think I was actually harming the space as much as I thought I was, but I just was thinking about like, does my, is my presence, my physical presence taking up resources that could be used for somebody else, Mm, you know? And also like, that was kind of my thinking, like drinking the water and like, like, um, eating the fruits and vegetables or like I don't know I just felt that it might be more I didn't I wasn't able to find a way that I could give to the community in a way and or in a reciprocitous way I guess I should say mm-hmm. one in which I was putting in as much as I was taking out um, and, and that was something that I was trying to navigate for a while and trying to figure out my place in the community how I could impact the place to leave it better than when I came Mm -hmm. um but I had a hard time trying to do that because it was like very expat owned like everything was for tourists everyone that I knew was an expat was in the local again there was a lot of segregation between the two so when I was able to move to the farm I was like okay at least I'm not like (laughs) taking anything if anything I'm planting more like we planted a hundred trees so Mm -hmm. that was so nice they're like I got to go to the farm and just give myself every day like five six hours of farming every day and just give back to the land and we were working with locals which is amazing I got to practice my Spanish and also was able to to really get a taste for the culture so yeah that's what I meant by doing harm you know just like depleting resources Mm -hmm. okay I I see where you're coming Mm -hmm. from and when you said that it was there was like segregation there, was it on a racial basis? Well, 
yeah was on like a racial basis or was mm-hmm. it like locals non-locals and then was it like also mm-hmm. uh, uh segregated on the level of like oh you're from this part of costa rica we don't really rock with you guys like so x y right. and z there wasn't segregation that i know of among the locals mm-hmm. it was more like expat local segregation racially it was very mixed which is why i chose also to go to the caribbean side because senator was very white uh the other side of the, the caribbean side was very mixed there was like the te- like there's every ethnicity mm-hmm. blended in there um so that felt very like soothing to me to feel like i wasn't the only brown person in the space yeah <laughs> um that was really nice and comforting and it felt like home i remember the first day i arrived in Brazil, how i just cried because it felt so comforting so homey um but the like i said the like the segregation was between like locals and expats and i think part of the reason was because a lot of the expats expats never took the time to learn Spanish. And I'm guilty of this myself. Like I knew very, very, very basic. Like I could have very service level conversations. Um, and that was also part of the reason I wanted to move to the farm too, was to like really like focus on practicing my Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really am grateful for this journey of moving to Costa Rica because it like exposed a lot of my shadow, right? It exposed um some of the aspects of myself I didn't want to look at like the ways in which I might be doing harm or um just playing this role of a of a typical gringo as the locals say Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) just like this rich American coming to a country and taking the resources and of course that was never my intention and I don't think that I was like of course I don't think I was like intentionally harmful at least I, I wouldn't hope so all right I would hope I wasn't Mm -hmm. um, but I just became more aware of my tendencies and the ways in which I could improve so I was grateful for that lesson Mm. and if I ever do go back it would be I would go back with a different perspective and the intention to really just pour into the community Mm, I got you and then that's Mm -hmm. the and I think that's the thing that a lot of times people don't um, get until they're in a new environment is that the the power of just your presence has yeah and how people view like view you and view the situation just for the fact that you are present and yeah. it, and it's hard trying to navigate that because even if you're trying to do the right thing it's like sometimes just of where you are and who you are sometimes your presence will have a um will have an unintended effect so, exactly. and that's like the difference between being uh, benevolent and, well, being, uh, that's the difference between benevolence and beneficence. Mm-hmm. And people think right. that, like, oh, I intend, with benevolent, oh, I intend to do good. With beneficence, yeah. it's like, I am doing good. Because there yeah. are people that have benevolent intentions, but beneficent, like, outcomes. Right, right. Seriously, part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also like an interesting, sorry, uh, like segregation within the expats as well, because it was such a range of different people living there. And then, and there was like expats who were moved there and they would buy the most expensive Airbnbs possible. And then there was expats who were like, no, nah, I don't want to be a part of that system at all. And we're just sleeping on the beach. So like, that was a really interesting thing to see. Like, 
uh, what people's intentions were, how much money they were coming with, how much of a footprint they wanted to leave, like things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really interesting to watch unfold. Mm-hmm. Well. And you um, you keep using this term, and um, is it expat or ex? What is expat? Expat, yeah. Okay, and what does that Ex-patri- what does that mean? It it means like um, somebody who moves to a different country, like relocates to a different okay. country okay. to live there long term. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure mm-hmm. that's for those listening, it's like they can like yeah, yeah. actually understand. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so from what you're saying is that you moved around Costa Rica a lot. Uh, what were, I guess, what was your favorite place to stay in? Long-term or like my favorite place that I visited? Uh, let's do long-term and short-term. So we visited and then we lived. Okay. Short-term was Monteverde. Um, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful preserved jungle. Um, it's known for its cloud forest. Mm-hmm. And I went there with a friend. We journeyed up and we stayed there for a few days. And we just spent like all of our time in the jungle where there just wasn't, there was no nobody there. Um, just silence. I ran into a bunch of owls and like cool creatures. Um, and just being able to sit like in that center of the jungle in like supreme silence just hearing the wind hearing birds sometimes and then there'd be like these spaces where it would just be like so eerily quiet you're just with your own your own energy your own thoughts and your vibrations that was like the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life and I always say I'm clearly expressing that I'm an emotional person because I keep saying my doctor I cried but no, really, in Monteverde, I remember I was just like falling from the beauty. I was like, how does something this beautiful exist in the world? Mm. And it it made and that was really what shifted my perspective on my impact in Costa Rica. Like seeing like the natural beauty of like what Costa Rica at its core was. I was like, wow, like this is the part of Costa Rica maybe not a lot of people get a chance to see or or don't take the time to see. Um, so that was definitely my favorite place. And my favorite place that was long-term, I'd say it was probably Puerto Viejo because of like the diversity um, racially, but like artistically and in terms of like the cuisine, uh, the people that you meet is a lot slower than San Teresa. Um, yeah, Puerto Viejo for sure. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All the fruits and vegetables. It was just a really beautiful place. So when you go back, is that probably where you're gonna start off living first and then move, um, move around some more? Yeah. So when I moved to Costa Rica, I like thought I was never gonna leave. I was like, this is gonna be my home. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm back in Boston, I don't think. I'll live in Costa Rica my whole life. Or maybe I'll have a house there some some point down the line in a way which is sustainable and again, adds to the community versus taking away. Um, But I don't know when the next time I go will be. I actually feel calling to keep traveling. Um, Guatemala's on my radar, Southeast Asia. 
So I'm just grounding myself until probably January and then I'll make a decision on where to move next. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, is like, I think, I think you posted something and asking like, oh, like where you should go next is, uh, is uh-huh. Africa anywhere on that, on that? Uh, yeah, eventually, yeah. Okay. But again, I wait till my heart, like I let my heart guide everything that I do. Mm-hmm. So my heart was saying Costa Rica, so I moved to Costa Rica. And then it's like Guatemala, so okay, Guatemala. And then it's in Thailand, okay, Thailand. So I I know that Africa's coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can feel it, but I'm just waiting until my heart pulls me there rather than making the decision from my mind. Okay. Well, give me some time. I can I could probably sell you on, on Nigeria. Uh- <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, actually, I have my friend. Um, wait, did you ever meet... Um, Oh, wow. If his name comes back, I'll think of it. I mean, if it, his name comes back, wow, mm. comes back, I'll let you know. Okay. But I have a friend from Nigeria. He's living there now. Yeah, it's it's a very... He's from UMass. I mean, I knew a lot of people in UMass, so I probably came across yeah, them, yeah. especially working at the rec center. It's like you yeah. meet so many people there. So I probably... I'm, wait, does he do music? Yeah. I know you. Kachi. Is that his name? Kachi? I no. think. I'm so off. This is so embarrassing. Um, okay. Kachi. We both know who we're talking about. I think we're, we're talking yeah, about yeah. the same person. <laughs> and we're probably, okay, we're going to figure this out after the podcast. Yeah. Um, okay. But that's, that's Kachi. Kachi. Okay. Yeah. Because he was friends with one of the, he was friends with one of the brothers so like that's how I ended up knowing him I need to yeah we'll we'll figure it out after <laughs> after the podcast um but uh like you said at the beginning with your introduction is that you do like uh hypnotherapy and then um I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name because I know I'm going to butcher it but the readings that you do Akasha Crockett there you go. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten that out. Uh, so how did you end up getting into um, those, those things? Uh, so, I mean, I started the healing journey when I was like 16. So how old am I? Nine years ago. Um, and it slowly evolved. And again, it started to evolve in a way in which I started to be led by my heart. And I think truly Costa Rica is one of those places that when it calls to you it's for a reason and usually that reason is for healing so I think that's why the country was calling me so when I went there I also had the intention like I said to just really focus on my own healing to grieve my father like all of these things um and I was already really interested in alternative healing I was a yoga teacher at the time I taught meditation and I had practiced like energy work like Reiki on myself like received it but never had given it. So when I first arrived in Costa Rica, I just told myself to explore every single modality that I could think, like I could find. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did like rebirthing breath work. I did um, sound healing. I did like shamanic practices and massages. Like I tried everything. And the ones that I felt had the greatest impact on my healing, I decided to get trained in. So Akashic Records was one of those things. Hypnotherapy was one of those things. Um, every single modality that I share now with my clients are mm-hmm. modalities that have 
like greatly impacted my own healing journey. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. And so could you explain what hypnotherapy and Akasha records? That's it, right? Akashic, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. So uh, my philosophy on healing is that healing is remembering who we are and releasing all that we aren't. So all of these modalities help us remember the essence of who and what we are, which is this deep, deep awareness, this aspect of our being that observes from a neutral place. Um, but also this aspect of our being that is unconditionally abundantly loving. Mm -hmm. So hypnotherapy is a really, really powerful practice because it helps us remember that true self through a deep state of trance or a deep state of uh, relaxation. And when we're in that deep state of relaxation, when we are aligned with our truth, highest self, we can receive mass amounts of wisdom and that's why monks and all these gurus are so wise is because they spend so much time in this meditative sort of trance state where they're just channeling this universal wisdom and you can say it's coming from above or deep within but it comes through this sense of inner peace um, so hypnotherapy is a technique that allows us to access our highest self or our subconscious mind depends on which way you want to look at it and the technique that I'm trained in is called the quantum healing hypnosis technique. And the woman who coined this, created this technique, believed in past life regression. And I always tell my clients that you can look at past lives in two ways. The first is more of a psychological scientific perspective in which we see that there's this um what Carl Jung called the collective unconscious this like unconscious subconscious storage of wisdom that we have inside of us that may present images or metaphors or symbols or dreams or different things for us to unpack traumas that we've experienced or pains or just be able to navigate our wounds in a way that's healthy and helpful or you can look at it from like a more spiritual perspective and believe in reincarnation and that we do have past lives. And when we are in hypnotherapy, we can actually go back and access those, that memory. Mm. Um, hypnotherapy is also a way in which we can, like I said, tap into our subconscious or our higher self. So we can ask for guidance related to our purpose, our past, our relationships. We can ask universal questions and receive guidance on that. Um, and all in all, it's deeply healing. It's so relaxing. You leave a hypnotherapy session feeling like your whole nervous system has been rewired. So that can be just in itself really helpful for people. Um, so yeah, that's the essence of hypnotherapy. It's a great modality for receiving clarity related to your life path. And how long normally and is the uh, session? It's two to three hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we go deep. Okay. <laughs> it could be longer. Uh, I mean, ideally, it would be three to five hours, but most people don't have the bandwidth or the, the yeah the capacity to, to be able to do it. And it would be really expensive. So two hours is like a good starting point. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, Akashic Records <clears throat> is a, another beautiful technique and modality we can use for greater clarity as well and there's 
this term in yogic philosophy known as the Akasha or Ishvara. And it essentially means that there is a universal wisdom, a universal knowledge. And you can view the Akasha like a library. And when you walk into this library, there's thousands and thousands of bookshelves. And again, this is a metaphorical, this is an analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's thousands of bookshelves and on each bookshelf, there's many, many books. And one book has all of the wisdom of one individual soul's life, past lives through present and future. Mm-hmm. And again, we can look at that from the psychological perspective, meaning like this is a technique we can use to tap into the collective unconscious or the subconscious mind to receive images that are helpful in our path. Or we can look at this literally and from a more spiritual perspective in which we can actually channel this universal wisdom through a state of meditation. Um, But what the difference is between Akashic Records and and hypnotherapy, the greatest difference I've found is Akashic Records are very universal. You receive a lot of like universal messages like people come and they'll ask, like, I'm in this relationship. Is this my soulmate? And then the reply that you'll get is like, we have many soulmates throughout our lifetime and love is expansive. And then it's very like broad. Whereas in a hypnotherapy session, you're directly communicating with your higher self or your subconscious mind. So you'll get like, yes and no, or like X, Y, Z. Like you'll get very specific related to your path. Um, because it's coming directly from you as well. Okay. Yeah, those are those modalities. <laughs> okay, because when I, and this is probably ignorance on my part, is that when I saw that, that uh, uh, that's what you were doing, I kind of thought it was like, kind of like tarot card readings, like you had like cards ah. and things like that. It's just like, oh, okay. But now yeah. since listening to you explain it, it's like I have a deeper under, understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, I'm sorry. No, that was it. Uh, and you said that it came from uh, the yogi religion? Spirituality? So, yeah, yogic philosophy. Yogi mm-hmm. philosophy, okay. Hinduism, essentially. But yeah, so yogic philosophy stemmed from, or stems from Hinduism, which stems from Vedanta philosophy, which is the oldest written philosophy and religious text in existence that we have recorded. And it's believed that like Buddhism, Hinduism, all of these Eastern religions and philosophies actually like spawned out of that. Um, So the Akasha is actually mentioned in most religious practices and texts. It's Mm. just said in different ways, but it's essentially just this higher wisdom or energy that we can tap into for wisdom. And a lot of, even like, we like to separate spirituality and silence, science, but uh, my previous partner was like high level mathematician, like PhD, like found the mathematical equation for black holes. Mm. But, and I would talk with him because I was curious because his mind was so left, so left-brained and I was so right-brained. But he, it's highly spiritual practice because mm. he would talk about how many famous mathematicians who, are, who made massive, massive discoveries in the world of mathematics we're channeling from something higher than themselves. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to like, if you read any of Einstein's work, you will see that as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's two ways, it's two practices to reach one universal truth. So, yeah. 
and yeah, like Einstein, look at Isaac Newton, think like those people like that. And um, through some of my readings and my spiritual journey is that uh, I guess the philosophy that I most identify with is that of the ancient Kemets, what uh, so-called Egyptians and uh-huh. what, what they came to, what they came to and now a lot of the things that they like with their philosophies like psychology is now just catching up to um, right but they they viewed science as a way of understanding and getting closer to the supreme being god what yahweh mm-hmm. allah whatever you want to call yeah. it and the fact that we separate mm-hmm. it so much is just like that doesn't like when you start learning about the natural processes of the world you start having mm-hmm. a deeper connection and understanding to it but yeah. people don't look at it like that it's like well I figured out how a cell did that it's like now let's find now let's find a way to manipulate it to do what I want yeah. to do and I feel like with a lot of western um philosophy it is trying to exert their dominion over nature versus working mm-hmm. in conjunction with uh with nature which to an extent it is understandable that's a whole nother mm-hmm. podcast to yeah. how, how western <laughs> philosophy got to where it is um but something that you said is that the uh the oldest written uh religious text i'm just when you said that it kind of made me think because there's through my own reading there are other ones and things like that so i'm just kind of curious about like when was that written if you if you know i want to say it was over five thousand years ago Okay. And where, where was it like the, well, where was it discovered? I guess like the people that. I want to say India, Okay, but in that region, like Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia. Okay. Okay. I have to, I have to go look into it. Cause I haven't, I haven't heard that before. So I'll definitely have to go uh, look into that. Yeah. Um, Please do. Let me know what you find. Okay. And so this will be the uh, last question with with what you were saying is that so you also do yoga correct Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so with especially yoga in the united states it's like do you think that it's been pretty much uh gentrified completely (laughs) (laughs) like no doubt about it and i'm sure and i also have been my heart's been like india 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 because i want to actually go to the birthplace um but yeah, it's it's been super appropriated. It was super, super clear to me when I was in, I went to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Tepuzan, Tepuzan. And there was like a shop and they had um, little Yodas and like, just like different things that you would have in like a kid's shop, right? And they were like, statues of different Hindu deities in the shop that were like used as like fun props or decorations and I was just like oh my god this is so bad this is someone's religion what are you doing yeah so um yeah I do feel like yoga has been immensely appropriated and I had a huge existential crisis (laughs) midway through Costa Rica where I started to like question my identity 
and related to my career and yoga and being a yoga teacher. And I didn't teach for probably like six months mm. during this time where I was like really questioning like, shit, am I appropriating it too? Like, am, how harmful am I being? <laughs> and um, my friend Olivia is Indian. Her, her parents were both born in India. She travels like back and forth. And I was using her as a resource to, to ask like, hey, like how do you feel about this? Like, do you feel like it's appropriated? Is there anything that I do that you feel like is crossing boundaries? And she's very honest with me. And she's like, no, I feel like you're actually like, you take the time to actually learn the philosophy and where it comes from. But I still like wanted to do that work and um, do that questioning myself to make sure that I wasn't adding to the problem. But what actually got me into yoga was the philosophy first. I was reading the text before I was reading or practicing asana, the physical practice of yoga. So when I went into my first yoga class, I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, yeah. This isn't yoga. I was so confused. Um, so now I don't teach like a typical class that you would find in a yoga studio. I teach a lot of, when I do teach, it's like yin yoga and restorative yoga, which are more gentle in nature. And I use those as a way to help people find a greater sense of relaxation and peace. But when I think of yoga, I think of um, Guiana yoga, which is like the is self study. It's reading scripture, it's reading text, and experiencing union through ideas colliding. Mm -hmm. So, yoga, the word yoga means union, it means yoking two opposing things. So, what we're saying about the science and spirituality, like we can find a way to yoke those two, that aha moment that you experience would be like the merging with something higher than ourselves, we'd be experiencing divine union. And that is like the practice of guiana yoga but like people don't understand that there's different types of yoga and like there's different lineages and like different ways that you can experience enlightenment so um I just yoga like, and then hot yoga and then oh right, like, like, yeah it's like that those aren't even practiced in india like no one does that <laughs> yeah um so but i think it can be really helpful though as like a gateway right because Westerners are so we're so far on a spectrum that I think we oftentimes need to uh, gently tiptoe people into the more spiritual philosophical things through mm -hmm. the physical body. And I think starting at the physical level can be really helpful and um, keeping people consistent and committed enough with the practice to be able to get to a point where they can start to absorb the wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, so I think yoga has evolved in a way in which I hope will benefit the Western world. But um, the studios that I've been into, the people that I've met, I don't feel super optimistic about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying to consciously change that. And I can. the only way I can do that is through changing myself and through sharing it in a way that I feel like is most authentic to the practice. So. Hmm. And just lead, leading by example. And, exactly. And that's the... And I'll say like that's the good thing is like because for yoga like you said it's the philosophy that you got into first not oh I just want to be limber and fit and da -da -da -da. yes like and there's a philosophy behind that and personally it's like I'm a very big philosophy per like buff like I just right. love learning about philosophy and how from what you're explaining is that it was a philosophy that that bled into a spirituality that then turned into a religion. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times people don't 
understand the difference between religion and spirituality because I asked some people that are very religious I asked them what came first religion or spirituality and a lot of times people think like oh well religion came and then from there you become spiritual it's just like no it's like spirituality came first because it's like you found the connection with the universe religion is just writing down how you found that and saying to other people it's like hey these are things that I've done to get closer mm -hmm. to God. It's more dogma than, um, than philosophy. And like with philosophy, mm -hmm. it's just a manner of transversing the world and how you interact with the world. And then spirituality is like, how do you get higher connection with, with, with that? And I think if people start mm -hmm. understanding those distinctions, then when they approach yoga, it's just like, like you did, look at the philosophy first and then mm -hmm. see if this is something that you can actually rock with. Mm -hmm. yeah it's a beautiful way it's a beautiful philosophy that outlines how we can heal really it defines what the true self is what the soul is the atman it describes how we can merge with it how we can connect with it on a daily basis it gives us tools and techniques to manage like every state of being you could think of if you're stressed you have the perfect breath practice if you feel uh, like your your whole body's cracking and aching. You can use Ayurveda, which is sister science to yoga that explains like how you should eat, how you should sleep, what time you should sleep. It's a whole whole science really that describes how we can find a greater harmony within our physical system and thus the world at large. Um, because our inner world is just this mirror of the outer world and vice versa. It's like mm -hmm. mic microcosmic and macrocosmic, it's just this reflection yeah and then i think that's uh that's definitely something that people need to understand as well as that it's like the group is made up of individuals and the individual makes up the group it's a vice versa it's like you like the world is in you and you are in the world it's like so yeah. if you don't balance if first of all if you don't balance it then you're going to be out of whack but to balance that you need to first do the introspective work so that mm -hmm. then when you are interacting with the rest of the world it's like you can you can move in a certain way that is actually conducive to yourself and others around you mm -hmm. yeah i agree <laughs> well i guess we'll we'll end on that note but before we go um let people know where to find you the different mm -hmm. services and everything like that and plug 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 yeah, uh, the best way to find me is on Instagram, which is Chantel Farland, S-H-A-U-N-T-E-L-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. Um, I post a lot of fun resources there, uh, different like sound healing and meditation practices and some memes on my story almost every day. So if you want some humor and the spiritual healing journey, check that out. Um, I'm in the midst of editing my website. But again, you can find me mostly on Instagram. Everything will be linked there. So that's probably the first place I would recommend checking out. And for those of you who are listening on, well, listening and watching on YouTube, the link will be down in the subscription. So mm -hmm. go ahead and check her out uh, with, the, with the link. And mm -hmm. I wanna say thank you again for coming on and doing this episode. Uh, I know I asked you way back in like June and you weren't, sure right. what, what it was going to be so um it's how the universe worked out it it made it so that we could actually get this uh get this episode out so thank you mm -hmm. thank you and everything in divine timing yes
And everyone, that has been another episode of Tomb Talks with the Pharaoh, and I will see you guys next week.